turned out to be a punk rocker. You know what I do? Warning. This podcast contains hot takes, cliched opinions and strong language. Welcome to Records and Facts. Welcome to Records and Bands. I'm Rob Jones. Um, we spend a lot of time on this show talking about songs and bands and records, so it's really cool to have another guest who actually makes music. Um, joining me today is George Wakeley, a.k.a. Confidential. George, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Rob. Well, hello, Internet. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your music? Because I've been having a listen over the last couple of weeks since we arranged this, and I'm not entirely sure how to describe it, so it's probably best <laughs> to ask you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's two sides to me, really. I started out in 2020 doing sort of lo-fi chill hot beats, um, instrumental stuff mostly. It was a little bit of spoken word um, out there as well. Um, it was just something to to put out there. And then uh, at the end of 2021, I decided that I quite liked to try singing over my beats. I've never, never sang before. I'd always been a guitarist and a producer, so gave that a try. And um, the response to the first single was really great. So I've just released my third single with vocals on it. Uh, it's, called, it's called Creep. It's a cover of Radiohead's um, song Creep. And I guess I'd, I'd call that still lo-fi bedroom pop, maybe. Yeah, I thought I listened to that today because, um, like, Creep itself is like thirty years old. I think this year. Wow. So, um, wow. I don't think you are, are you? No, no. <laughs> so, um, to be honest, when I pressed play, I wasn't expecting a cover version. I wasn't expecting oh, okay. the Radiohead song. I thought it was just, like maybe had the same title and you'd done something. But yeah, it felt very much like you know how. Um, like on the bat on the trailer for the Batman, they done a chilled out version of something in the way by Nirvana. Yes, yes, it felt very in keeping with that sort of feel. So I don't know if that was something you're going for. Or... Uh, no, not 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 at all. Um, what happened was I, I I had a few singing lessons about four or five, I think, uh, at the end of 2021 when I decided I wanted to give it a try. And the homework that I'd got on the last lesson was to do um, Creek. And I really enjoyed it and decided, you know what, I'd quite like to re- release a cover, give this a try. But I've never, never really been interested in, in imitating other people's work. Um, I mean, the way Radiohead have done it, that's, you know, they're the ones who wrote it. So that's kind of like the perfect version. So to make it mine and give myself a bit of ownership of it, I decided, let's just rewrite this, reimagine this and, um, you yeah, know, just, just, just make it mine. Excellent. Excellent. We often talk a lot on this show about um gatekeeping and stuff my brother who's on the show with me quite a lot he's in a ska punk band and um we often speak about how now that technology's and or technology and streaming has removed some of the gatekeeping in the music industry it's easier to get your um to get your stuff on the same platforms as the people who have influenced you so uh, how does that feel yeah uh, distribution has become so accessible i think creating music has become really accessible I, I wrote an essay in, in 2020 about some of this where i compared the sort of lo-fi chill hop scene to punk music in the 70s where um there's that tony moon article from the seven i think it's 1977 where he writes in the article this is a guitar chord here's another one here's a third one now you can start a band mm-hmm. and in lo-fi music it's very much like here's a laptop here's an internet connection go for it it's yeah you know the world is your oyster kind of thing and um, I think definitely, uh, I think music go- kind of goes in these cycles where you have artists who are put on these pedestals and they're ridiculous 
in one way or another. Um, so just before punk, progressive music was really, really big. So um, Pink Floyd, uh, some of Elton John's work and Edgar Winter Group, stuff like that. And then punk music was sort of like a rebellion against that to show like, no, it's not these elite, you know, like Olympic athlete type people who can do music only. It's, it's anybody. And um, I think that happened again with like grunge music and Britpop in the UK. And um, I'd say about 10 years ago, the charts were being dominated by um, like uh, Cash Money, I think it's called. So like um, Nicki Minaj and, and Birdman, mm -hmm. Lil Wayne, all that kind of stuff. And it was very, very kind of um, uh, a lot of excess going on in, in that. So, was, you know, like hey, this, how many Ferraris I've got, you know, my massive mansion, swimming pool, that kind of stuff. And, and now um, music seems to be going a lot more in the direction of just relatability. Um, artists like um, Baby Doopie and, and uh, Palfu, artists like that who are just sort of singing or rapping about life and relationships and real things that everyday people can relate to. Excellent. Completely out of my wheelhouse, but that's what we like. <laughs> having, having things accessible, admittedly, it does bring its own set of challenges with it. So things do do change. Um, nothing's ever, yeah, the grass is always greener on the other side kind of thing. So, um, it's a very, very saturated market. It's very noisy. Uh, you gotta be heard about the noise. So that's when marketing becomes really, really important for an independent artist. Yeah. It's the same for podcasting. It's absolutely crazy. Everyone's yeah. got a podcast, haven't they? So. <laughs> yeah. There was this COVID, especially I imagine like everybody just started doing it. Um, right. I sent you 10 questions a little while ago. Um, how did you find them? They weren't too taxing, were they? No. Um, admittedly, when you ask me about uh, favorites and stuff like that, that changes pretty much every day. So yeah. um, when you ask me about favorite anything, that'll be my favorite today. If you ask me again tomorrow, yeah. it'll probably be different. Brilliant. Shall we jump straight in then? Um, so the first question is, well, give us your top three albums of all time ever or your top three bands or artists. Or if you're feeling really brave, both. Yeah, I'll do I'll do both. Yeah, why not? Um so at the moment today, my uh, top three artists are definitely uh Deftones, Nirvana, and The Roots. Um I think the Roots probably will be quite consistently in, in that top three most days. And then for my top three albums, a bit more um bit more out there. Um Hurt Volume One, my favorite album of all time, that will always stay there, definitely. Tomahawk Anonymous is another one that's that's top three for me at the moment, definitely. And the roots, things things fall apart. That that's a fantastic album i love that one tomahawk record that's a mike Patton project isn't it or oh, he's involved in that yeah that's right yeah yeah so um it's Dwayne dennison the guitarist of the band he's the main the main kind of guy behind it yeah mike mike has a lot a lot of influence on that project i lived in a or stayed in a little like holiday cabin in new zealand when i was doing some fruit picking and one of the guys who was with us he was like the biggest mike Patton fan in the world so he one of the records he had, he had the Tomahawk record. I think it was, is it Mick Gas? Yeah, that's the second one. That's the one before. Yeah, so he had yeah. that. He played that a lot. And he played Phantomass quite a lot as well. Oh, I love Phantomass. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just mental. And then Mr. Bungle is another one of Mike Patton's yeah. um, projects, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah, that was like the original one. Um, I hadn't heard of Hurt before today. And I put put it on and it felt, or it sounded very much to me like... Um, in the same sort of vein as like a perfect circle. Yeah, I could hear some of that definitely. It's quite yeah. it's, um it's quite artistic. I'd say that they're definitely a bit heavier than a perfect circle, but there's a lot mm. of that artiness there. So the the lead guy in the in the band, uh, a guy named Jay Lauren Wince, he he was brought up as a um classically trained violinist and rock and roll was banned in his house. 
the first time he ever heard rock music, he was at the mall with his friend and he was 14 years old and he heard Jeremy by Pearl Jam. Mm. And for him, it was just all downhill from there. Um, <laughs> as, a, as a classical guitarist, I, I really, really enjoyed the classical elements that really um, hurts music, especially on that first album. Um, there are times where I think maybe they could have turned up the, the orchestral elements a little bit, but they're so prominent in there and um, they just add to the music so much. I think it's just absolutely brilliant, so unique. Um, and he plays with the violin live on stage as well, which is just so cool to see. Excellent. Um, Deftones have come up quite a lot recently while I've been recording these, so I don't know if they're having a bit of a resurgence at the moment. or um... uh, I've seen a few stories from Chino, yeah. I, I, I imagine they're probably coming out with a new album soon. They've been quite consistent with it. Right, um, I, saw them, I saw them at Reading in 98, and I saw them at... Docklands in 2001, I think, with um, Linkin Park supporting them. Wow. That was on, on the White Pony tour. Yeah, um, yeah. Linkin Park were terrible. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, really. Well, they weren't, they weren't for me, to be honest. Nirvana, obviously, yeah, they're, they're up there. They're one of my best. Originally, I think we were going to ask you to come on and have a chat about Nevermind, I think. But... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, what's the talk about the, the album? Yeah, that's... Um... That's been up there as one of my favorite albums before, plenty of times. Um, yeah, Nirvana, it's amazing. Huge influence on me as a songwriter. Um, speaking of influences on you, from listening to your music, when you then said you were going to pick a record from The Roots, I heard it straight away. Like from, <laughs> your, from your stuff, I was like, yeah, definitely. Um, what is it about The Roots then that grab you, apart from them being cool as fuck? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, Black Thought is just incredible. Uh, incredible rapper and Questlove, in, in, incredible drummer as well. The Roots were the bands that got me into hip hop. So when I was growing up at home, my dad banned a lot of things. He banned hip hop, he banned reggae, and he banned the Beatles. And um, when I went to university, I really wanted to be a heavy metal guitarist. And um, uh, in my first year, we, we studied a different genre of music each week. And so naturally, one of the weeks we studied hip hop, collective groan in the class and he put on this this youtube video of the roots playing you got me which is from the things fall apart album live on the jules holland show in 1999 and i just couldn't believe what i'd heard it was nothing nothing like anything i'd ever heard before um i'd heard hip-hop before of course you can ban it in the house but you can't help being exposed to it when you're like watching a skate video or if you're you're out somewhere and somebody puts it on or whatever but i was never that interested or keen on it um because a lot of it was sort of like i said before that that stuff of excess where it's about mm -hmm. you know stuff that i can't relate to whereas you got me is about missing your family when you're on tour and meeting somebody in relationships and and that really hit home for me and the, the way they delivered it was just 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 it was just incredible i just couldn't believe it and so it just it just just went downhill from there for me they're on the uh jay-z unplugged album are they? Oh, I haven't yeah, actually heard yeah. that so, one. Oh, right. So, um, yeah, Sam was trying to get me into Jay-Z as well, and it just wasn't happening. It wasn't happening. <laughs> I put his, and I put his Unplugged album on, and I was like, yeah, this is amazing. Like, And so you've got the roots, the band, uh, doing all the instrumentation for the Jay-Z songs. Like, so check that out if you haven't heard it before. It's really, really good. Though. I definitely will have to. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I haven't heard that one. That sounds great. Right. What was the first record you bought with your own money or specifically asked someone to buy for you? Uh, that was the self-titled Iron Maiden album, uh, which was almost going to be in my top three albums, actually, thinking about it now. Um, that, that's, 
one that I still listen to very regularly. That's just such a good album. It's brilliant. Diano's vocals on there are really good. Yeah, it's got that. I know Steve Harris hates hates it when people say this, but that that sort of slightly punky edge to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, right in my wheelhouse. Me and Leon, we grew up on Iron Maiden, like. But the riff on Phantom of the Opera is just, yeah, it's iconic. It's, it's so good. It's one of those albums where every single every single track is absolutely amazing, so memorable, and the dynamics are are brilliant. Just just so huge. Where you have this mixture of like some of these more punky tracks, like. Um, sanctuary um so i got the uh the sort of re-release version where um where i had sanctuary sanctuary mix it wasn't on the original version mm-hmm. and that's that's really quite punky and fast that one and you've got phantom of the opera which is like this this sort of progressive type one which is you know much more akin to what they're doing now and then um uh strange strange world i think it's called um which is just this much softer one remember tomorrow much softer one as well mm-hmm. just just so so many different sort of elements going on in there and the structures are different in, in the songs and the, the feels and, and it's, it's just such a such an amazing album and the title track's a proper sing-along anthemic one when they do it live as well isn't oh, it? yeah of course yeah have you seen them live or no i haven't actually uh, i only saw them with blaze bailey singing you know with that pit spelling in the 90s so city x factor is probably in my top five favorite I made numbs. That's a really right, okay. controversial thing to say. Yeah. I think the last couple of tracks in it are quite weak, but I really loved um Sign of the Cross, I think is mm-hmm. just incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then um uh Blood in the World's Hands and Judge, uh, Judgment of Heaven, I think are great. But I've heard the B sides to to that album as well, which they released on um on some of the singles. And I think they were better than some of the stuff that was on the album. So I think mm-hmm. the production quality isn't very good because uh they had steve harris producing it in his own studio which just wasn't really up to par and um and yeah the song choice just wasn't quite right and what was the last uh record or album that you bought or streamed or downloaded it doesn't have to be a new one just what was the last thing you had on Uh, yeah uh today actually whilst whilst i was working i had um uh, another self-titled album album on it was from a band called the clay people i'm definitely going through like a big metal phase at the moment they're like an industrial metal band I will check them out. I've not heard of them. Really cool. Um, the Dan, Dan Leeds' uh, voice is just really, really unique. Um, who has been the biggest influence on your record collection? Probably my, probably my brother. I'm going to say older brother. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So when when he was going through his sort of angsty teenage years, he's quite a bit older than me. When he was going through his angsty teenage years, that was sort of at the tail end of the. The whole new metal thing so um linkin park spine shank the biscuit uh and then further on from that sort of um the post grunge stuff that sort of came in after that so like smile empty soul and um all that kind of stuff and um he, he exposed me to a lot of that stuff just because he had it playing in in his mm-hmm. room the whole time i'd be like oh what's that that sounds cool and, oh yeah it's like slipknot yeah put this on yeah <laughs> so i was like you know six seven years old and listening to slipknot for the first time it was great um, I've never had that really because then um, I am the big brother. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, my, it was actually my mum who got me into the, the the grunge thing. She bought me a Nirvana, like the Great Greatest Hits album. Oh right, excellent. Uh, when I was like twelve, I was tw- uh, thirteen, fourteen, I think it was, and starts off with "You Know You're Right," and the vocals yeah. are just just really like gritty and that. And I was just like, "Whoa, what is this? This yeah. guy, is, I'm feeling this guy." Yeah, punk rock, isn't it? That's what it is. Yeah. 
The next question is about being in a band. And we obviously, we already know that, you know, you're making your own music. Um, have you been in bands before? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So uh, I joined my first band when I was 16. Uh, when I went to college, we were sort of thrown in together as part of a part of a project at college. And we were like a rock band with progressive elements in it. So imagine sort of uh, like, like Muse really, uh, I guess was, was one of our biggest influences. We sort of did quite a few Muse covers at the start. And, um, uh, but our songs are very much pop, uh, structured like pop music. Um, and that was all traditional, but we were very experimental in the studio in terms of adding things like strings and keyboards to our songs. And one day we were recording at college and they, they had this Steinway piano in the auditorium room. So we got a microphone, stuck it in one of the sound holes and hooked it up to a guitar effects pedal and just sort of see, decided like, oh, what can we do with this? And um, yeah, we learned a lot from that. It was really fun. I remember one time we got a, we found a um, toilet bowl that luckily it wasn't, you know, it wasn't used or anything like that. It was just sort of like overstocked from like a hardware store. And we took that, put a microphone in it, tried recording vocals, see what the reverb was like. And it was, it was really fun. Experimenting though, isn't it? That's the time to be doing it. It's Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we learned so much and it was really fun and we just, just wanted to see like what ridiculous idea could we come up with and see what it would do. So we just sort of laid, layered up all these like delays and stuff like that on, on the guitars to see, just to see what would happen. Cause being in college, we just had all this time on our hands to be able to do stuff like that. I miss it so much. I really do. <laughs> but other than that, um, I've done sort of been a hired gun sort of touring or studio member for, um, uh, other like metal bands, uh, post-hardcore band. Uh, I was a touring member for called Half Infinity, who were, um, did quite a lot of touring around, around the Midlands in, in the UK. They were really brilliant band. It was kind of unfortunately sort of all imploded really. Then, um, after I moved to Brighton, I formed a sort of progressive death metal band. Um, like imagine death tones, but a lot heavier kind of, kind of vibes that we were going for. And our lead singer was living with the guy who was singing for Tesseract at the time. And they were recording their second album at the time. And he was sort of influencing us and mentoring us a little bit. Um, but unfortunately we just didn't end up doing a lot out, a lot outside of a few demos. Um, my last band I was with for about four years, I think, um, we were a hip hop band and then we sort of developed, um, into more of a trap kind of sound later on further down the line, a bit like sort of what the weekend was doing um six or seven years ago and um that was really fun but unfortunately just yeah it's bands, people bands just fizzled don't they you know sometimes and um, that's quite a switch from progressive death metal to hip-hop yeah definitely i don't think i could have had much of a gap uh bigger sort of uh space between them um that just happened because i i had that lesson at university when mm. i discovered hip-hop and i started write, writing some hip-hop beats straight after that and really enjoyed it. And then, um, I was still with the progressive, uh, with, with the sort of tech metal band when I formed this hip hop band, I just answered an ad for this rapper Thanks. who, um, who, who put an ad out and, uh, and, and it sort of blew up from there really. And we, we did loads of like recording, we did gigs and this that and the other. And it was, it was really fun. Um, just imagine like a sort of a six foot seven Nigerian Usain Bolt look alike on stage, Excellent. that stage presence that is. <laughs> the other part of this question is that if you can take your music or maybe like do music in a completely different direction again, but you've kind of already done that from the death metal to the hip hop, is there, <laughs> is, is, there a, is there other sort of genres you wouldn't mind experimenting in sometime in the future or 
a particular or is there or even is there like a particular band that you would like like to be a member of i would uh give almost anything to collaborate with charlie tuna from the um from jurassic five i love his solo stuff as well as his work in jurassic five and also matt lee but if, if you mean a band um an overall band uh dub pistols absolutely right. number one for me i would Brilliant. love like, i've seen them live they are such an amazing live show one of my favorites i've ever seen i would love to be a part of that george would you tell me about your first gig like as a spectator rather than a performer yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the first one I ever went to was a local one, actually. It was sort of this uh, this punk band from my school was playing. It was just really cool to be exposed to all, all this noise and sweat. And yeah, at the time, I thought the bands are really good, but perspective changes over time, maybe. And they were selling beer to us underage, so I ended up having to run off before the police turned up. And so that was just quite an experience, um, uh, having lived a bit of a sheltered life until I was about like sort of fourteen, I guess. Um, my Sounds first like a good time. It was, yeah, <laughs> good fun, good fun. And um, my first pro gig that I went to sort of see like a professional band was um, Zebrahead, a friend's band. This, this when I was at college, sort of 16, and a friend's band was supporting them. It was their first gig, actually. Oh, excellent. And um, MC Lars was supporting um, as well. And I'd never really heard of Zebrahead before this gig. I'd given them a little listen before I went there, and uh, I liked what I heard. And um, uh, they, they were just absolutely amazing. They were just on point. And MC Lars uh, got to hang out with him a little bit afterwards, and he was just a barrel of laughs. He was so great. Um, what was the last gig you were at? Uh, last gig was uh, another local one, actually. I haven't really been to a professional gig for a while, probably not since um, before COVID times. So, yeah, the last um, local artist I saw uh, not too long ago was a local artist called Chloe Lee in Brighton. Um, she's kind of like Latin folk music, and sometimes there's a bit of, bit of Spanish in her lyrics. Um, she's a really cool person. We we chat from time to time on on socials, and yeah, I just really like her music. It's it's super chilled, and it's just a nice night out. That's quite a nice um, aspect of like social media and like the streaming platforms. Is that you know the artists are more accessible, so like you say, you can have a chat and you know contact people a lot easier than you could do before. Yeah, it's not all it's not all you know. Contact my agent or <laughs> no. I'm, I mean, I've met. I've met a lot of artists around Brighton who are, who are independent, just like me. And the ones who connect with the, the listeners are the ones that I really become invested in and want to support by going to their gigs or, you know, uh, just, just, just sort of talking to them, you know, offering a bit of support in like, you know, mental health, they're feeling a bit down or whatever, stuff like that. So I think, I think there is still some, some of that holier than now kind of thing going on, but social media does bring artists closer than ever to the fans i, I do um like amas on, on instagram all the time and it's just really nice to sort of get the conversa conversation started record for fans is produced by rob jones please support me on patreon so you can stop spending all our money on podcast stuff and buy me a new toothbrush right this has been a very popular question so far <laughs> um it's a one-day festival just for you you've got six slots who are you booking? Oh, this this one is hard. This one is hard. So if you if you mean active artists, I definitely want to have the roots playing. A hundred percent for those guys. The others I would have would be uh Dub Pistols. They are they're known as a festival band. They're they're one of the best live shows I've ever seen. Uh Muse, uh Crossbreed, uh they're they're an industrial metal band, recently got back together. Um, Cypress Hill. And then Oh yes. Yeah. 
you gotta have you gotta have Cypress Hill, don't you? Come on. And the last one I'll give um as an artist in America, I'm a huge fan of called Harry Was Here. I'll give them a shot. I absolutely love his music. I'm a huge fan, but I've never seen him before perform live. So I've I've no idea what that would be like. All the others I've seen in live settings and they yeah. put put on in, in absolutely incredible shows. Um if I'm allowed to bring a band back from the dead, um yeah. I'd give almost anything to see American Head Charge live again. That probably was the the best gig I've ever ever been to. They were really quite heavy, weren't they? Oh, yeah, they were great. Yeah. They were so good. Were they on the Ozfest or something or what? Like back in like yeah, way early two thousands. Yeah, yeah, when they were on Ruben's label. Because um, I remembered the name when you sent through the name. I was like, oh, I know them. I know them. So they must have been in Kerrang around two thousand. Because that's I stopped reading Kerrang after about two thousand, to be honest. But, yeah, that's the exact um, era, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there you go. Then yeah. Um, but I, and I put them on today, and yeah, they were almost a bit much for me. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. <laughs> no, just like in terms of like as heavy as I get these days. Oh really as heavy as i get it's probably like clutch that sort of thing where it's still got a bit of groove uh, to it yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think american headshots walk that walk that line between the heaviness and the melody i love i love groove and i love melody so i need those things in there in in music um and american headshots i feel like they sort of do walk that line and and sort of get a good balance and cameron he got voice just wow so mm. unique so unique um which band or artist makes you dance around the kitchen like a bit of a dickhead? <laughs> I love that. That's brilliant. Um, so my, my guilty pleasure in life is that I'm mad for air guitar. Uh, yeah. I do it all. I do it all the time. But it's it's got to be pitch shifter. Uh, pretty much anything from their dot com album. Um, I haven't heard that name for years, man. Uh, pitch shifter. Um, oh, they've been doing all the uh, like reunion gigs and stuff. They're, oh, they're wicked! Brilliant. I, I I talk to them on instagram once every so often i know they're like super busy and stuff but they've been nice enough to like respond to my messages and have a conversation with me but jim davis the guitarist on the dot-com album he's one of my favorite guitarists of all time so his lead parts in the album they're, they're like awesome air guitar for me that yeah, is, so, I, yeah saw, I, I saw them at the big day out in 99 they're on one of the stages or yeah. i think they're on the second stage that day we'd gone along because like it was metallica and monster magnet and marilyn manson uh, ministry played but terrorvision were the highlight of the whole day to be honest oh, okay uh, but yeah pitch shifter on that day they were really good i remember them being really good yeah i've seen a video of them doing uh reading in 99 so the same year yeah and um one of the moments that i love they do like the first like couple of songs then they introduce themselves and say hello we're not from america and it's, it's quite quite just quite it's wittier uh, um i know that uh clayton's got quite a uh, sarcastic sense of humor so just like he loves to sort of let that out at gigs so i was i just loved it how do you like sorry like how old are you what are you like 25 if I'm, that? I'm 25 in august well, there you go how do you find pitch shifter <laughs> um i just do i i think it's i've got adhd and i think i just i just love doing all this like research and stuff so when i like like the band i'll like look them up and sort of research the absolute like living daylights out of them then i'll see like who they toured with now look up those bands as well and be like oh right. wow like you know this is really cool like, i mean that's why spotify yeah they yeah. they're not the greatest for paying royalties stuff like that it's a whole other conversation but they're great for getting you to um discover new out. yeah you discover new stuff through that and it's brilliant so i remember i don't know how i got into this band called the butterfly effect in uh who were based in australia and because they toured with 
Dead Letter Circus and Cogum. I discovered those bands as well, and they're, they're absolutely incredible bands as well. See, it's similar for me, like back in, back in the 90s. So um, obviously I was like really into Pearl Jam, and then I found out that they did a Neil Young album, or they did an album with Neil Young, Mirable, and then that took me on a Neil Young rabbit hole. But I could only buy like one Neil Young album every sort of six weeks or so because it was like 12 quid for an album whereas yeah, now you can yeah, pay yeah. 12 quid and you've got all the, all the music in your phone haven't you then for the same price yeah. as one album was back then so there we go absolutely and there's so much less risk as well imagine paying 12 quid for an album and you realize oh, it's like, like the, <laughs> yeah you just realize nothing might go maybe one one song yeah i've been there plenty of times man <laughs> <laughs> Which band or artist does the whole world think are amazing and you're just like, nah, man, I don't get it? Oh, this one's going to be controversial. Um, the Beatles. You're not the first one to say that, man. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I, just, I just don't get the fascination, man. I really don't. So my, my dad my dad banned the Beatles in the house when I was growing up. He was just like, you know, talentless, they're drug users, this, that, and the other, even though he listens to Jimi Hendrix. So, right, don't okay. know, yeah, a bit hypocritical there, really. Um, and... When I did eventually move out of my, my parents' place, um, yeah, I did get into hip-hop. I did get into reggae. Those are two things that he banned as well. I tried listening to the Beatles for myself. I, mean, I thought their older stuff was, yeah, it's, it's okay. It's pretty pretty okay, but it's not great enough for me to sort of feel compelled to go back and listen again. And I just didn't, I didn't really enjoy their latest stuff at all. I thought it was very self-indulgent and stuff. And I always just felt like their influences did, did things better than what they were trying to emulate. emulate. So Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, who... And they just get all this credit for stuff that they shouldn't really get credit for. Like they always say that Hell to Skelter is the first, the first metal track ever. But that was, that was written in response to I Can See for Miles by The Who. So surely that's the mm-hmm. first metal track. But before that, Steppenwolf released um, Born to be Wild, which is ridiculously heavy. Surely that's the first metal track. When was the crazy world of Arthur Brain with fire? I don't, I don't know. So there's that as well. And there's the talk of... Like when did the Kinks first put a Stanley knife on his speak on his amp to get that distorted? Same. Yeah, I'm not saying the Kinks are a metal band, and you know. Yeah, but I mean, mean, how far do you get back? Yeah, exactly. I mean, the first instance of distorted, um, distorted recording or like distorted guitars in the recording is, I want to say it was in the 30s, maybe. Um, they accidentally dropped the, uh, the speaker out out of the truck or something as they were transporting it and broke the speaker and it became distorted and they still recorded so it was an accident but it's still a pretty cool story um just quickly on the Beatles, you've said exactly the same as my guest on who i had on on friday said that you know their early stuff yeah it's all right and then it just gets all a little bit self-indulgent and you know i said i think it's because they're the first band that got like mega stardom so yeah everyone uh, everyone knew them everyone liked them they, they were the cold play of the day yeah, definitely. I remember having a, a discussion with um, my tutor at uni about this. Uh, we we had like a sort of music and philosophy, uh, music and philosophy uh, course that we had to do as part of the degree, and um, he he absolutely loved the Beatles. He he thinks they're like yeah, the best things mm. in life. Bread and I uh, I sort of sort of asked him after class once, yeah, just like what what it was all about, all that kind of stuff, and he said like yeah, they were the first, they were the first sort of mega star boy band essentially. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the reviewers and, and um, journalists and stuff like that are people who sort of grew up loving that kind of music. So maybe in like 30 years time, I think, 
I think journalism will change quite a bit where um, that sort of the, the Beatlemania thing that we still got going on where, where they're heralded as this amazing thing might move to a different artist in the future. And in the 30 Beatle- years time, that stuff will be 100 years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, you know, it's crazy. Um, on the other side of the coin, is there a band that you're into that none of your mates like? They're like, George, what? What? Why? I've got a massive reputation with all my friends and family for loving the obscure. Um, um, I've got a big collection of independent artists that I listen to who I think are brilliant. I mean, I've mentioned a few like Chloe Lee and Harry was here. They're, they're, I think they're absolutely brilliant. Um, there's also uh, like Nico, Nico Suave, Luami, Super Freddy, Sky Blue, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and I know Chris Moyles, yeah, he made that comment a few weeks ago about unsigned artists being crap and all that kind of stuff. And I think I think that's just so narrow-minded him saying something like that, especially when he considered that all great artists we listen to and love today, they were unsigned at one point. So um, there's just no logic in what he said at all. Um, I think there's quite a lot of purity in the unsigned band, slogging and slogging and slogging, and then one day they'll make it. But if they don't, it doesn't matter because they're still just going to make the music. Yeah, definitely. I think I think one thing that you know, I only recently understood um, earlier this year, so that recent, um, was after a discussion with a with another independent artist um, uh, who I won't name because she doesn't, I actually spoke to her anonymously about this, mm-hmm. is that there are artists out there who enjoy making music and they make great music, but they aren't particularly interested in making it in a sort of, making it a high pressure grind for the sake of choosing fame or fortune. And that for me was, it's really hard to see something that's not from your own perspective. So Mm -hmm. when this artist told me that that was sort of why they did it, they weren't looking for, you know, success in it or anything like that, or to do it as a full-time grind, that, that really hit me hard. That did. I'm not particularly after like fame or anything like that. I'd love to do music full-time and that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's my overall goal. Um, yeah, I promise I'm not fame hungry, but um, it was just it was just really really weird to to hear something like that. Um, we had a guest on last year, and he was on to talk about a, a particular record. So um, we were chatting for ages, and then we did we ended up getting on to his music, and we spoke about his music for about forty five minutes. Um, and he does this he does really really cool stuff, but at the end of it, he said to me, "You know that what we were talking about." my music can you just make sure none of that goes out because the music's just for me i don't want other people you know finding it wow wow yeah that's so pure and that's so that's so cool to do something like that i i spoke to somebody just randomly um a few months ago who told me his son his son had died and he'd never uh his son was really into music and so this, this, this person I spoke to, the kid's father, uh, bought a synth for the first time in his life, started making music and put it on Spotify just to make him feel a bit closer to his son. I thought that was so sweet. And I listened to the music. It was actually really good. So, um, you know, sort of a win-win there, but he, he wasn't bothered about pushing it. So I had to ask him for a link, you know, it wasn't like, he was like, oh yeah, this is my music. It was like, oh yeah. Like, have you got any links then? Can you send me some? I'd really like to listen. Yeah, sure. Here you go. Whatever. And um, I, I thought that was that was so that was so so cool. Um, you can time travel to any musical era or scene, like geographically and 
time-wise, you can go wherever you want. Where are you going? Can I go into the future so that I can see what's popular, steal it, come back to now and get credit for it? No. Ah. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna go, <laughs> if I've got to go back in time. Uh, I... They've done a film about that, didn't they? That, about the uh, Beatles, like uh, yesterday? Oh, I don't, did about, he... I don't know about the Beatles, but I remember... Um, uh, uh, in Back to the Future, where he plays Johnny B. Good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think there, there's a film called Yesterday. Doesn't I don't think it was time travel, but I think he doesn't he wake up and no one can remember the Beatles except him, so he passes their music off as his own. Yeah, I have heard that one actually. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but yeah, I've heard of yeah. that. Yeah, um, was that recent? I think maybe a couple of years. Oh, yeah, to be honest, we say recent, it could have been five years ago. It feels like yesterday. Yeah, on, honestly, dude, look, the past like three years don't really count because of COVID. No, so, yeah, I'm still 21. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. Cool. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Go back and, sorry. I go on a lot of tangents. Like, yeah, 10,000. No, no. It's brilliant. It's what this, we like. this podcast. So, uh, yeah. Um, getting back on track. So, yeah. Going back in time, I'm going to go to the 70s and watch Leo Brower. Um, he was this modern classical guitarist from Cuba. He retired in the 80s because of an injury, which, yeah, it's just, yeah, really sucks because he's still active as a composer now. And I've seen some of his recitals on YouTube. They look, they look really, really special. Yeah, great energy. And um, yeah, his, his, his writing, his original compositions that they had performed at the time were brilliant. And even now, his, his compositions now are, are fantastic. He just unfortunately doesn't perform anymore. So um, when you say compositions, it's like concertos and that sort of stuff for guitar, is it? Rather than... Or is it like soundtracks and uh, both actually? Sorts. Yeah, so he yeah. does soundtracks oh, right. for films, stuff like that. But um, yeah, he does. Um, yeah, just like solo guitar music as well. Excellent. I should check him out. Right, this is the hardest question anyone's ever been asked ever, and it's our final question for the night. You get to add one song, just one, to our playlist for the ages which is it's going to go into space for the aliens to find it or it'll be buried in a time capsule or something like that. Um, what one song are you going to put on our playlist? Man, Matt, you asking the hard questions, aren't you? Um, okay. I'm going to go with uh, Come As You Are by Nirvana. Uh, as much as I know, it's a ripoff of Killing Joke, get it. It's, it's a simple song, positive message presented in a surprisingly clever way with all the contradictions and stuff. I'm going to go with that one. Why? I'm not going to, I'm not asking you to change your mind. I'm not going to try. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to make a case for any other songs. It's, it is entirely your choice, but why out of all the Nirvana songs available to you, did you choose that one? I think that like, one, that one hit me, that one hit me quite hard in the lyrics. I think I've, I've always felt like an outsider all my life and I still do even in my own family so to have a song that's about just be just be yourself and I'll accept you that's that means a lot to me it really does and my second single that I released uh called enough for me it was you know sorry to say it was based on that one song on that one Nirvana song you know that's all right. You don't have to. It's your song. You get to put whatever you like on it. You could put one of your own <laughs> songs. You could have put one of your own songs on it. Oh, I could have. Oh, yeah. What have I done? Missed oh, that no. trick. Yeah. Brilliant. That's great, George. Thank you so much for coming to play tonight. Um, just to let everyone know where they can find you and where your work is online. Yeah, uh, you can find all my music on all the major 
online streaming platforms. So uh, YouTube Music, Spotify, Apple Music, um, Deezer, wherever else. Social media, I'm on, I'm on all the major socials. So I'm on Facebook, just look up Confidential. I'm on Instagram and TikTok as well. Confidential underscore lo-fi. Uh, that's L-O-F-I. I'm on, I'm on YouTube as well. Uh, just look up, look up Confidential on there. Brilliant. I'll put all the links to the, all of that in the show notes alongside the links to the records and band socials in the Patreon page. If you want to support the show with a couple of quid each month, that'd be great. The kids can have some broccoli or some shoes or something. <laughs> so I was Rob. He was confidential. George, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure, Rob. And that was Records and Bands. How good is fucking boring?